So, if you're visiting today, we have been looking at the book of John. And the reason that we are looking at John is because it's the book that so clearly expresses who Christ is. In fact, it's all the I am passages are in the book of John. I'm ringing. Can you hear me? I can hear me ringing. Yeah, my brother and I used to have a cart me uh, company, and our motto was non-professional work at professional prices. But uh, anyway. <laughs> okay, am I, am I good? Okay. And, and so, so from time to time, Redeemer's been here for 20 years, and so from time to time we need to get back uh, not that we're ever getting away from the gospel. Every, every book of the Bible should be about the gospel. But, it was, but here we're confronted with who Jesus is and all those I am passages. Now, today we come to uh, the seventh sign where Jesus uh, gives a sign and get, uses the I am passages. Today he talks about him being the resurrection and the life. And the sign that he gives is the resurrection of Lazarus. That's what we're going to look at in chapter 11. Now, it's going to take three Sundays to do that. So I just want to look at the first 16 verses that are here. It's printed in your bulletin. And so I want you to read along with me. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with oil, with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. And so the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful 
uh, for your word. That it's in your word that we discover who you are as you've revealed yourself to us. That for everyone who's here this morning, you're the God who's here. Uh, You are the God uh, that we can hear from. The God that we can talk to because you hear our prayers. And Father, I am certain there are those who are here this morning who are overwhelmed with life, overwhelmed with circumstances, or perhaps overwhelmed with uh, their sin, their unbelief. And so, Lord, we thank you that you still speak to us today as you did thousands of years ago by your word and by your spirit. And so we thank you for this text that we have that we can learn about who Jesus is. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who can take eyes that are blind to see and ears that are dull to hear and hear them sharply. But Father, I especially pray for those this morning who are hurting. They need to know that you love them. I pray that they would see that their pain and their suffering right now might well be your very megaphone. Uh, to shout into their lives that you alone can meet their needs and that you care about them more than any earthly preacher. And so bind up the brokenhearted this morning and those who are confused, those who need to know that you are their Father in heaven. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. My first experience of falling in love was in the third grade. Uh, Her name was Joy Baker. Now, I'm sure most of you can remember your first love, uh, how exhilarating that was, right, to be loved, to to know that this is the one person. Joy Baker, third grade, eight-year-old boy. I don't agree much with Bertrand Russell, and I've actually read his book. Maybe you've read his book, Why I'm Not a Christian. I read it early in my Christian life to make sure I knew why I was a Christian. But one thing I can't agree with him is what he said about first love, and this is what he said. He said, Italy and the spring and first love all together should suffice to make the gloomiest person happy. Right? First love. All is good. Well... How's an eight-year-old boy who's a third grader, how can he know that that girl feels the same way about him, right? Well, you know. You go out in your backyard, and you pick a daisy, and you say, she loves me, (laughs) right? She loves me not, she loves me. And then if you end on she loves me not, you just pick another daisy. (laughs) No risk in that. And so eventually I found a daisy after about the third or fourth time. And uh, it says she loved me, so I was assured that uh, Joy Baker loved me and my life would have meaning and purpose and all would be good. And so not long after that, I went to school. We were in the lunchroom at Haynes School on Toy Street. And I'll never forget this day as long as I live. I finally made it to her table. And (laughs) all of a sudden she gets up on her chair and announces what it seemed to me the entire world. 
I am in love with Steve Bell. <laughs> yes. I was, uh, I was crushed. I mean, how could this be? The, the, the daisy told me otherwise. I had been deceived by a daisy. And how could God let this sweet little eight-year-old boy uh, know that kind of pain, that kind of rejection? Yes, one of my first memories of the reality of life, that it wasn't fair, was in this situation. But what could be more painful than longing to be loved? I don't care what grade you're in, longing to be accepted. Let me tell you, if you're in junior high school, uh, you long to be loved. You, and, and, and when you're not loved, you feel lonely. And when you don't feel loved, you're like the, the 13-year-old girl in the cafeteria that nobody sits next to. Nobody talks to her. Or maybe you're like the high school student that's been sick for three or four days and you go to school and nobody even knows you're sick because they didn't even know you were there. But you know what's true of kids? It's true of adults. I had a fascinating conversation with a gentleman not long ago. And I was kind of asking this person, I said, so what is it you want in life? And I was thinking of the philosophical business answer, right? I want to know what my meaning and purpose in life is. I, I want to know, I want to fulfill my goals. I want to find my purpose in life. And that's not what this gentleman said. He said the most honest thing I've ever heard, and it was powerful. You know what he said? I want to be loved. I want to be loved. Yes, of course. Because you see, it's when you know that you're loved, and you know that you're loved, and many of you don't know that you're loved, and you especially don't think you're loved by God. But when you know you're loved, it brings this sense of unbelievable security in our lives that no matter what the circumstances our life are, I know that I am loved by that person. I'm accepted by that person. And yet, in a way, we kind of all now know down deep that we can never quite get that, can we? Because, you see, Joy Baker, to a certain extent, she didn't love me because Steve Bell was taller than I was. He was more handsome than I was, at least till we got to high school. <laughs> uh, you know, he was, a, he was actually cool when, in the third grade. Like, He's a cool guy. I, I didn't have the cool factor. But you see, so I needed her to love me, but she had her standards. Now, and then this is going off on the internet. So, Joy Baker, if you ever hear this, I think you're a wonderful po person. I'm just trying to make a point here, right? <laughs> so, yeah, y'all realize this is forever on the internet. This is, when I first found that out, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but you see, there was a standard. And I didn't meet that standard. And how much do we feel that way all the time? Even with the best parent. Or you're a parent and you have a kid. And your kids say, Dad, you're supposed to be like Jesus Christ. You're, you're, you're supposed to be perfect. Now, we all want to be loved. We, but we know that we're not lovable down deep. And so when bad things happen and all of a sudden life starts coming at us, we kind of uh, 
we, we have this insecurity where we can't face the circumstances of life. And you can't until you know you're lost. But here's my observation. I've been a pastor a long time. Here's how we think about God when life is, you know, we know we need to be loved. We know we need to be loved, God. And you start pecking, uh, plucking those petals. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Our text is all about the love of Jesus. And I hear a lot of things about my sermons. Sometimes I hear I preach too much about sin. Sometimes I hear I preach too much about grace. I don't know exactly how to do this sometimes. I'm supposed to preach law and grace. But if there's one thing I want for one person in this room, if you feel like that God no longer loves you, he has abandoned you because you're going, he deserves to abandon me because I'm not the man. I'm not the woman I need to be. I have made a mess of my life. I want you to know this sermon is for you. And I want you today to know that he loves you. Now, if you don't need that love, everything's okay, life's good. But I'm not, I'm, but he, he loves you too. Matter of fact, he loves the Pharisees. Jesus loves everybody. And it's so sad that some of y'all won't believe that. Because Satan wants you to look at yourself and go, you're not what you ought to be. I was with somebody, it makes me want to cry to talk about it. I was with somebody yesterday. A relative. One of my relatives. And they were with, uh, they came down yesterday. And, and I, I never really had a chance to talk to this person very closely. And I knew this person's life had been hard. I, I knew it was hard. Just like your life's hard. Some of you, it's just so devastating. But this person started telling me that, um, that you have no idea the things I wrestle with to the point where if, if, I, if I go outside, I don't want the wind. To, I, I, don't go, I, can't, I don't want to wear a hat because I don't want my hair to mess up. I'm afraid to go outside when it's windy. And they went on and on and And I thought, you need to know the love of Jesus. And it's hard as a pastor because it's like, there he is. He loves you. That's what we read. That's what we're going to read in our text. Okay? Because I'm not up here as your pastor. Because I'm the epitome of discipleship. I'm up here as your pastor. Because I think God, for whatever reason, just keeps on loving me raw. And what we receive, we give to others. Now, in one way, you know, you're, you're, if you're not getting the love of Jesus, is if you're not giving it away. <laughs> my husband, mm, my wife, mm, my boss, my... That my mom, my, my kid. Mm. You know what? You don't understand. You don't understand how much you need his love. So, I want to be as brief as I can with these points. 
But if there's anything, if there's a proposition I have, if my if-then statement is this morning. If you believe in the love of Christ, then you can bear with any circumstance, any providence that he brings in your life. But not till then. And he'll even love you when you're not believing he loves you, okay? So what do we see in our text? There are three things to see. Uh, first is that Jesus loves people. I, I was going to put his people, okay, because I want to be correct in my thinking. But you know what? He loves even sinners. In fact, if you're a sinner today or if you're saying, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't have any problems. I don't need Jesus Christ. I don't know why you're here today. Maybe your mother brought you. I don't know your daddy or somebody. But I'm going to tell you, that until you know he loves you, you will never be broken of that attitude. And I can assure you, as one who's lived life fairly long, your life is going to be miserable. And if your life is not miserable, then everyone around you is going to be miserable. And maybe you're a miserable person to be with. And it's not because you're a terrible person. Everybody in here is terrible. But it's because we don't know we're loved. And then we're going to see that because he loves his people, we're able to flourish in a world filled with trouble. And then the last thing is, because he loves his people, if you're a Christian and you're united to Jesus, You must walk in the light as he's in the light. You must trust him. I don't know what you're dealing with right now, but if there's one thing I, I want to drive to is that you trust him. So, hey, let's go with the easy point first. Jesus loves his people. Now, let me ask something. Is that, was that hard to see in this text? Did y'all see that like twice? Martha and Mary come to Jesus, and they say to him, uh, I think it's in verse 3, the one whom you love is sick. And then you go to verse 5 and it says, Now Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and her sister. And when you think about God, and Jesus is the full representation of who God is. When you think about God... And I think about God, I'll tell you what, over the years, I, it, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all his attributes. And I, I want to tell you this, if you're a skeptic, there's no other religion that even says you can know God. And even the one that says you can, which is Judaism, and I'm not knocking the Jews, but I'm saying this, at least the Pharisees at his time, they would not say the name of God, which is Yahweh. Do y'all know that? You can't mention his name. And so the word Jehovah is actually, because they wouldn't say the word Yahweh, you do the vowel pointing in the Hebrew with the alphabet, and it comes up with Jehovah, okay? So they can say his name. But not the true God. The true God, in all of his attributes, he's not only knowable, but the reason he's scary is because he's good in his holiness, right? You know you're dirty. 
You know that you can't really go, well, God, I demand you answer that prayer. You answer that prayer because down deep, down deep, you know down deep that you don't deserve it. You know, it makes you feel insecure, right? So God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all his attributes. That's why he has to send Christ because he cannot let the guilty go. So God sends his son because if you stand before God and, lay, and if you've never heard the gospel, don't you hear this? If you stand before God and you think that you've been a great person, except when you were 13 years old, you told your mother, take a hike when she told you to mow the grass. But other than that, you've been perfect. Perfect husband, perfect wife, never lied, never cheated, never did anything wrong. You know what Scripture says? If you keep the whole law, but you break it at one point, you're guilty of the whole law. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand God's holy, good, and just ways. James says if you keep the whole law, break it at one point, you're guilty of the whole law because God personhood is at stake to let anyone into his presence who sins. And I, and I know it's just, well, whoa, you're talking about love. Well, I'm going to tell you what love is. Love is this, that if God decides not to deal with your dilemma, then you get justice. But if God is going to decide to reconcile us to himself and to make the demands of the law, Here's the greatest word in the world that he loved us so much he sent his son into the world because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There are no good people. But here's the thing. It says when we think of the attributes of God, listen to this, he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his love. God is love. That's what the Bible says. God cannot not love. And your sin cannot undo his love for you. Do your sins need to be confessed? Of course. The same way a father says, Hey, son, go to your room until you tell your brother you're sorry. That's why we do church discipline. That's why we confess our sins all the time. But the fact is we can always come to the table because his love will never, ever cease and fail. And there's power in that love. Now, before I go to my next point, let me ask you, do you know that love? Or do you just want me every Sunday to say, Here's, let me give you a couple of tips here. I'm telling you the most practical thing I know in the world is to know the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable love of God. And when you're empty-handed and you say, God, would you have mercy upon me? It is to that person to whom that love comes. How can you, sinner, close your heart to anyone else when you're experiencing you're so caught up with the fact that he loves you and all your sin. He embraces you and all your sin. You're not even thinking about how you've been sinned against. And if you are and you go, Lord, I have to forgive this person, he says, of course you do. You understand that? So it says that he loves Martha. And he loves, he loves Mary and he loves Lazarus. And, and, and here's what love does. Do you know that they don't even make a request? Did you notice that? They just says they came and say, hey, your brother's sick. I mean, uh, uh, the one you love is sick. Our brother's sick. They didn't say, would you heal him? They just said, look, we know that you love him. You're going to do what's right. 
In fact, I would suggest this. If you're always going to God in your last, in your dire circumstances, yeah, that's kind of giving him, like, okay, I guess we need to go to God. All else has failed. No, go to him first because he loves you. He says, Jesus says, go and say, our Father who art in heaven. He doesn't say, go and say, Almighty, holy, righteous God. Uh, that's true. But he came so that he can be your father. Now, do you believe that? Or do you need that? Okay, so that's the first thing. So the second thing is this. Because he loves his people, we're able to flourish in a world that is filled with trouble. Because he loves us, we're able to live in a world that is filled with trouble. Now, what's very interesting, after you read of his love for Martha and Mary and your brother Lazarus, verse 6 says something very curious, doesn't it? It says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, I want to try to make this even more practical because, you see, Lazarus was sick. How can that be? To know Christ and to know the love of Christ? Well, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean that I'm not going to be sick? After all, you live in a secular culture, okay? you got the gods of secularism, the gods of here and now. They're telling you all the time that you deserve more than you have. You deserve more. That's why we're always angry all the time. And so we're told that we deserve more, and so we want more, and so we're always frustrated because we don't have enough. And, but then on top of that, you have the prosperity doctrine, right? The prosperity gospel. Uh, one of the books, uh, I won't name the author, said it was called, it was 20 years ago, The Be Happy Attitudes. You ever heard of the Beatitudes? Okay, Beatitudes. It doesn't say... In the Beatitudes, be happy attitudes, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're mourning today, and you're in God, why is this happening to me? The comfort of God is, is much better than all the treasures of this world. And then he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hungering and thirsting for what? Granite countertops? New house? New car? Season tickets? Those things are fine. Right? Those things are fine. I, I'm, I would like to have some granite top. No, actually, my wife probably would. But, but, but you see, um, we have trouble. And so it's in the troubles that you begin to wonder about the love of God. You're saying, why is this happening to me? Why, why do I have cancer? We, well, several people have gotten cancer in the last several months. Some people have cancer seriously. Some people in our congregation have recently died of cancer. Why, do, why, do, why am I sick? Why has my marriage never changed? Why do I have no money? Why did I fail out of school? Why is my career going in the end? Why is it that I can't get any sense of assurance of salvation? He said, well, we have troubles. 
And until we understand that there's a reason and there's a purpose for the troubles that we have, and we learn this in our text, when he flat out says that his sickness is not unto death. He says, so that the glory of God might be displayed. Okay, so what do you want? What is it that you want in this life? Do you want, you want to be prosperous and everything's always good and everything's good and fine and great? Let me tell you what. It is not until you lose everything sometimes that you realize you never controlled anything. It is not until your health goes down that you realize you are never in control of your health. It's not until your retirement account takes a hit and you can't retire like you thought you were going to retire. Now you're going to have to work for the rest of your life. It's not until you understand these things and this pride of self-control gets worn down and worn out that we will see the glory of God. You see. But here's the question. Do you want to see that? Like C.S. Lewis said, uh, the non-Christian says, well, if only God would show himself. If he would only reveal himself, then I would believe. And you know what C.S. Lewis said? What are you going to do if he does and when he does? I'll tell you what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to submit to him. You're going to go, not my will. And you can sing that song we sang at the beginning. Have thine own way, Lord. You're the potter and I'm the clay. Is that what you want? So let me tell you, here's what God does. Is he tells his disciples, I'm glad he's died. So that you might see my glory. Not that you would glorify him. Let me ask you something before I get to my last point. How do you think Martha and Mary felt? When the word that came back to them was the word in verse 3. Oh, hey, it's not sick unto death. Lazarus is not going to die. Well, at least that's what they heard. What Jesus meant was, it's not a permanent death. He's only asleep because I've conquered death. But imagine them. Put yourself in their shoes. Okay? And maybe that's what you're thinking right now. All the promises of God. Okay, I thought Jesus was my friend. I thought he was great. He's, he loved Lazarus. There's Lazarus. J- Lazarus is not going to die. I can believe that because I've seen Jesus heal people and this, that, and the other. And now he's dead. And not only is he dead because he raised some other people from the dead, but he's dead four days. Now, let me ask you. Y'all think that they had some questions going on in their head? But you see, this is God's grace. And what the disciples were going to see is not a blind man getting a sight. That was John 9. Yes, he's the light of the world, and you're walking in darkness until you see the light. And they're not going to see him walking on the water. They're going to see him, who is the creator of the universe and the redeemer. Tell a man who is riding in the grave to rise, and he comes out of the grave. Now, let me ask you something. Would that be worth all the doubts that you had to see that? So, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, God loves you to the point where he's, gonna, he's going to, if you want to see his glory, then there might be suffering on the front side. And there might be difficulty on the front side. 
And so the very thing that you think God is using in your life, this thing is a sign that God has abandoned me. He cares not for me. Oh, brothers and sisters. After it says he loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, it said, and he waited two days. And he is on his own timetable. Lazarus was raised. All right, here's the last thing to see from this text, and we'll close with this. Jesus loves his people. Because he loves us, we're able to flourish in a world with trouble. In other words, you know, Lord, I've seen you over and over again take things out of the ash heap. And no matter, and by the way, I would say this, if you're not growing in that faith, if you're not growing in a knowledge of that faith, if your faith is diminishing rather than growing as you get older, what will you do when the time comes for you to give up the ghost? What will you do when all your money and all that stuff will not raise you from the dead and it's going to happen to everybody on the first row, the second, third, and I could go all the way through this room and every person in this room will die. Right? And so God, because he loves you, Jesus, because he loves you, he's like, I want you to trust me so when it's time for you to die, you know what you're thinking? I'm going to go asleep. And I'm going to wake up with Jesus. Do you have that assurance? Well, perhaps God wants to bring these things in your life so that you will. Well, last thing. Because he loves us, We must learn to trust him in all circumstances. Now, notice what he says to the disciples. He says, yep, we're going to go back down to Judea. And they're saying, whoa, whoa, hang on. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. They they just tried to kill you down there. Why are we going to go back there? And you know what the irony is? Because they are going to kill him. That's the irony in it. And, uh, And then he makes this comment. He said, well, you know, you need to work while it's day before the night comes. Because no man can work in the night. You know what Jesus is saying there? Jesus said, nobody can take my life ahead of time. I'm, I'm almost to the end. Nobody can take my life. I give my life. And I walk in the light. And he, and he says, so, but men walk in darkness. And you can't get anything done in the dark. And so what Jesus is saying it, in that text is it's better to live in the light and walk in the light even though all seems around you dark rather than living in the darkness and thinking you're in the light and your life will just get more and more confused. Right? You only got so much time in this world. Are, you gonna, are we going to pitter away living in the darkness? Or are we going to go, you know what, Lord? You know what? I want, I want to be obedient to you. I want to serve you. I, even if it takes me into the darkness... Uh, and uh, Alexander McLaren uh, said this. He said, even uh, the, the believer can find his way in the dark. He can, find the, he can find the path in the dark. Why? Because he's walking in the light. In the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, the question then, in conclusion is, how do I do this day in and day out? I mean, okay, can I be practical with y'all right now? I'm going to be practical with you. How you live the Christian life. How you live the Christian life. Okay? I can say, okay, get up at 5 o'clock and read your Bible for 45 minutes and pray for 15 minutes. This is how you pray and this is how you do this. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to tell you what you do. 
You wake up every day, and I would suggest you wake up, and I would suggest you read your Bible. I would suggest you say, okay, Lord, the pastor tells me I can come with all my mess. I'm going to come, and would you accept me and receive me? And he will. But every day, you wake up, and the reason you're reading the Word and the reason that you're praying is because of what happens later in our text. Can I tell I want to conclude on this. Do you know that he weeps twice in John? Now, we'll look at this next week. Remember, he sees Mary and Martha, and, and, they're all, and he finally comes, he's dead. And if you had been here, you know, he wouldn't have died. And, uh, and, and so Jesus weeps. You know why he weeps? I think he weeps because he so realizes how broken the world is. It's, it's broken. Things are broken. I weep. I was talking to somebody this morning about being a pastor. There's always somebody weeping. There's always somebody sad. There's somebody doubting. There's somebody that doesn't believe that God loves them. There's, that's always going on. But how do you do it day in and day out? Let me tell you. He's weeping there, and we should weep for one another. I'm telling you, if you don't weep for people, and all you want to do is have a good time, and life is good, and you don't want to enter into it, you probably don't know Christ at all. But if you do, how do you do it day in and day out? Get up and say, Lord, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I'll tell you when you'll do it. It's the second time he weeps. And the second time he weeps, he's weeping at the tomb. Now, why is he doing that? Why is he weeping? He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. You think he didn't know that? So let's get real here for a minute. Let's not go, okay, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's God. He raised Lazarus. Let me tell you why he weeps. It's because for Lazarus to come out of that tomb... In just a few weeks, he would have to go into that tomb. You know why he goes in that tomb? Because he loves you. And because the Father loved you so much, he gave his son. What greater love than that? To where he said, well, you know what, Lord? I surrender to you. Every day. Is that practical enough? This is what it means to be a Christian. You believe Jesus loves you and he cares for you. Would you believe that this morning? If you don't know Christ, would you come to Christ? If your marriage is trouble, would you please be the first one to move toward Christ and quit blaming your husband or blaming your wife? Would you begin to go, you know what? We're sinners. I'm a sinner. Lord, would you love me? And the more you embrace him, the more you will give to the person you love. That what you receive. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Do we need the Holy Spirit to do this? Yes, absolutely. Presbyterians believe in the Holy Spirit, by the way. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he'll take you from the dead right now, in your spiritual death, and he'll make you alive and unite you to Christ. And I pray that he would this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I pray for those who are sad this morning lonely, feeling forsaken, whether it's because of their own mess or because uh, they just don't think you care about them. Oh, Lord, here it is in our text. He loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. And yet he lets Lazarus die so that your glory might be given. We don't know the end of our life. We know the end of the story of Lazarus. He comes up from the dead. Yeah, we can read that. But in our own lives, Lord, we, we don't know all the chapters that will be written. But teach us. That as you love Lazarus, you love us. 
Forgive us our unbelief, and we thank you that you love us, though we doubt your love. Would you change us today? Forgive us of our sins, for they are so many. Teach us to love one another, even as you love us. And so as we come to this table, that we would come with joyful hearts that you still welcome us. And that as we are fed by you, that we'll feed other people as well, our brothers and sisters and our friends and our neighbors. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.